turn to Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to look at this with you. If you could follow along, I think it would really benefit you to look at the Word. There's something about the Word of God coming into our eyes in the presence of the Lord that causes His voice to come out on, uh, uh, of the Scriptures and into our lives. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm just going to ask the Lord uh, for His help. Father, you know where these words came from. They belong to you. And because you live, so they do. I ask you to impart life to every hearer. Strength where there's weakness. In your precious name. Amen. So the scripture says here in the first verse, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. I want to point out something here. Peter has already told them these things before. (laughs) What's significant about that is that this is important. It's so important that he's reminding them. I think that is uh, important for us to take notice of that he's telling them this again because it's easy to forget. He's telling them this again because it is vital to remain on the inside of us. And what is it? He says that the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So not only does he say this is important for us to remember That's why I'm reminding you, but he says it's what the Holy Prophet spoke about in the past, and it's what the Lord Jesus spoke to the apostles to pass down. So it's threefold important here. It's important that you remember these things because the Holy Prophets spoke them, and Jesus himself told them to us apostles. That's what he's saying. So this is very important, and I, I encourage you to pay close attention because it may not seem significant in the moment, but I'm telling you in the coming days, it's going to, it's going to ring true. Verse three says this, know this first of all, that in the last days, in the last days, if he was in the last days, we are more so in the last days. I know many of you feel this inside of your hearts that we are coming towards the end. Well, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. I want to talk to you about what mockers are. This word, mockers, has to do with game players or making sport of something, which shows us that these kinds of individuals that will be rampant in the last days is this. They're the kind of people that do not value the Lord in such a way that they have in their hearts, a lack of seriousness. Everything is just not serious before the Lord um, in their in their hearts. So the next thing it says is they follow their own lust. So they're not led by God. They're led by their own desires. So not only is there a l- being led by their own desires, but they ha- make sport of the things of God. Then the next thing it says here is that uh, they actually say, Where is the promise of his coming? This means they have no anticipation for the coming of the Lord. So three things here that are the mockers or what's coming in the last days, which will be predominant amongst people. 
Number one, they will follow their own desires. Number two, they will have a sport of things that are spiritual. It doesn't matter. It's a game. And number three, they'll begin to jeer at or even uh, mock the coming of the Lord. There's no anticipation for the coming of the Lord. And we need to watch this in the church because when we lack an anticipation for the coming of the Lord, we are in a bad way. It is the anticipation for the coming of the Lord that keeps us sober in this life. And I'm telling you right now that this is coming in a stronger way in the last days in the church where the church is going to lose their value. I'm, I'm not saying the real church. I'm saying we need to be careful about this and I'm not cursing the church. What I'm saying is that we're going to recognize that what the devil wants to work into the church is a lack of anticipation of the coming of the Lord. And men will begin to follow their own desires and they will begin to think gamely or make sport of spiritual things. Next, it says here, uh, for when they uh, maintained this, it escapes their notice that the word of God created the heavens long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by a flood. He calls your attention to Noah. He calls your attention to the fact that the world had become so wicked that God flooded the world to destroy it, but he saved his people in the ark. You remember this story, but he says they've forgotten this. The fact that they're being led by their own lusts, the fact that they're not uh, anticipating the coming of the Lord, the fact that they're making sport of things means they've forgotten about Noah's day. Then he brings Noah's day into our day, which is what Jesus did when he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he says here that by the word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Just like Noah's day, the world today will be destroyed by fire and ungodly men will be destroyed by that fire in the coming days. So just as it was in Noah's day, it is coming in the future. And he calls your attention to this because it makes a man sober and it makes him not make sport of things. And it makes his heart follow the Lord. And it makes his heart anticipate for the coming of the Lord. These things are very important. He says, do not let this escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord a day is a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient. God is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. What this means is that when we look around and we see the wicked prospering or we see the wicked just going on mocking God without any kind of judgment coming upon them, he's saying, don't think that nothing's going to happen. Remember, the Lord is patient. He suffers with the suffering of the world today in hopes that men will repent and escape eternal suffering. This is so important for us to recognize that God is patient. Sometimes we are so impatient and we look at things and the way people are treating the Lord and the way people mock the Lord and we say, why doesn't God do something? Oh, he will. He will melt the elements of the world with extreme heat in the ungodly so. But here's the thing, he's patient and he doesn't want them to go to eternal damnation. So he, he suffers with them. So the next thing here is verse 10, 
But the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It is a promise like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. This day is coming. And he's trying to remind the church that this is a reality because we lose sometimes because we're so connected with this world. We lose the sense of the coming age. We lose the anticipation of it. We get swallowed up in the things that have to do with ourselves, and we forget about not only Christ and His glory, but the fact that that glory will swallow up the the world one day. And so it says here, since these things, since we know these things to be true, what sort of people ought we to be? So now he brings it home to the way that we should be knowing these things. And he says here, holy in conduct in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So he is contrasting these mockers who make sport of everything and follow their own lusts and do not anticipate the coming of the Lord. He contrasts them with us and how we should be as we anticipate the new heavens and new earth that will be forever where righteousness lives and the oppressions of this world will be gone forever. He speaks of this and this is how we live. We don't make sport of things. We live holy lives. We don't uh, mock the Lord by following our own desires. We actually, f- uh, we follow the Lord and not following our 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 own desires. And we are not those who do not have an anticipation for the coming of the Lord, but we look to the skies that the, that the clouds might break and let his beautiful face through. We cast constant looks of love towards the clouds, remembering our beloved comes for us and he is a longing to be with us. Even as he prays in John 17, my desire, God, is that they would be with me where I am and see the glory I had with you before the world. Jesus longs for this day. And in John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. This is his his consolation for them. And he says, do not let your heart be troubled, but believe in me. I'm going to prepare prepare a place for you where we can be together forever. I want to encourage you and infuse you again with these realities that this is the truth for us. And this is the kind of people we ought to be. He goes on and he says, therefore, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in peace. We are those that no matter how crazy things get in the world, we live in the peace of God. No matter how wild everyone else acts and how much turmoil and tumult takes over, we have the stillness of the Lord on the inside of us. And it's very important because this is the mark of a godly man. He's not moved by the world. So we have peace. We live spotless and blameless lives, meaning we're not messing with the world. We're not doing things that would cause people to look at us and say he's contradicting the word of God. And we regard the patience of the Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul had written about these things and people misconstrued them or they distorted them. So verse 17, this is the core of the the message that I feel the Lord has for you. Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. Be on your guard. This word for guard is very interesting because he says, uh, this word guard is having to do with keeping watch or guarding a prisoner. It's used in Luke 2, 8, 
where you see shepherds watch over their sheep. So he's saying, keep your eyes open like a shepherd watches his sheep. Watch your soul. Watch your life. And then Luke chapter 8, verse 29, he says this word in reference to the demoniac being guarded with in, bound with chains so that he would be under control. So what he's saying is this, because of these things, because of the ungodliness, because of the severity of the situation, be on your guard, which is just keeping watch on the inside, keeping control over yourself. Now, how do you do this? He goes on to tell us, it says, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. It's important to notice that they are in steadfastness and he tells them that it's possible to fall from that steadfastness. There's many of you watching and you've seen dear friends fall from their steadfastness. And he's saying here, if you be on your guard, you will not fall from your steadfastness. And these people fall from their steadfastness because they're led away by unprincipled men. The word that's used there for led away has to do with giving attention to something. So we begin to give attention to things that are against God before we fall away from God. But if we keep our attention on God, we'll be protected from falling away from God. It's very similar to Hebrews chapter 2 where he says, we must pay much closer attention to the things that we've heard so that we do not drift away. We keep our attention upon the Lord. So he says, be on your guard. But then verse 18, this is the key and the crux of the matter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. It's important to look at this word grow because it has to do with increase. It has to do with development and maturity. And he's saying grow, 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 expand. Notice that it doesn't say that you will grow to a point where you stop and now you're unable to fall anymore. It's the, it's the continuous growing that protects us. If you're always growing, then you're protected from falling. So we don't grow to a point where we're unable to fall anymore. It is in constantly growing that we're protected and housed. It's an endless process of staying in this life reception that causes us to continually grow. So we grow in the grace of God. Well, this is actually how we guard ourselves, by growing in the grace of God. And you say, what is this growing in the grace? Well, the word grace, this is incredible. The word grace is joy or uh, the word that has to do with causing pleasure or, or gratification on the inside. This we know to be Christ himself is the grace of God. From him flows grace and truth. So if we grow in grace, we're growing in the experience of Jesus. I believe grace can be explained as God's riches as Christ experienced. It is God's riches at Christ's expense, but it is also God's riches as Christ experienced. He is not only unmerited favor for us, he is a constant experience for us and it causes us to grow. This is growing in the grace. Now it doesn't say that grace grows because grace is absolutely maxed out already, but you grow in that grace, your revelation of Jesus through an experience of Jesus. He says, grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's, it's interesting to note that the grace of God is 
being fulfilled and satisfied and pleasured in the enjoyment of God. I'm telling you right now that we know God to the extent that we enjoy him. As we grow in the enjoyment of Christ, which is the grace of God, we grow in the knowing of God. Because he goes on to say, after grace, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, coming to know him, to know him, to know him. As Hosea says, knowing upon knowing, that we will go on to know, to know, to know. Oh, I encourage you that we have not scratched the surface, no matter where we are in God, of what there is to be known of this, this limitless Christ who is beautiful in every aspect. There's a charm in his every feature. He is he is beauty itself, everlasting, and more so. And the more that we come to know him, the more we see how beautiful he is. But I want you to, to recognize that our knowing and growing are one thing. We only grow by coming to know. And the more we know him, the more we grow. And this growing comes from the wonderful experience of the grace, the grace of God. So I encourage you guys that this is what I believe the Lord is saying right now, that mockers will come and that it will be easy to forget and anticipate the coming of the Lord. But the, but the Lord looks to you and he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting to note this word grow. It's very important for us to recognize because we can't make ourselves grow. As a matter of fact, if you look over at, at Colossians chapter chapter 2, verse 19, you'll see how we grow. You may have had that question while I'm talking about this. You say, I want to grow, but how do I do it? In Colossians chapter 2, 19, it says, not holding fast to the head from which the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. So you see that the growing is connected to being fastened to Jesus. We we cling to him and we sing to him and we bring to him everything we do. Our lives are, are latched on to Christ. Even as David says, I thirst for you and I cling to you. It is this abiding, this remaining in his presence, constantly aware of him, always fellowshipping with him, living in unbroken communion with him. This is growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is growing in the knowledge of him. The word that's used here for grow has to do with natural development or increasing by, 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 um, uh, by size or even being changed physically. There is a, a metamorphosis that takes place as we remain connected to the Lord. And it's interesting that the word growth here has to do with an inward principle of life. <laughs> you can't make yourself grow, but you can receive life and that life causes growth. As a matter of fact, if there's life in the tree, there'll be fruit on the tree. If there's no fruit on the tree, we know there's no life in the tree. So we have this, this internal life that comes by clinging to the person of the Lord Jesus that will protect us in the days to come with things that are coming. This word of growth is also used in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, where we see Paul's talking about growth caused by God. God will cause your growth. You don't even have to worry about whether or not you're growing. You cling. You remain. You enjoy. <laughs> when we stop enjoying God, we stop progressing. If we stop enjoying God, if we move into an area where we're more religious than we enjoy, we've missed it. And the striving is the curse. Enjoyment is the covenant. And as we enjoy His presence, His, His sweet voice through the Word, we will grow and increase 
by God's own power, not by our own. And we see that as each individual member grows by walking in fellowship with God, the whole body grows. In Ephesians 2.21, it says, the body of Christ is fitted together and grows into the temple of the Lord. We are growing constantly. As a matter of fact, this word growth is used by Jesus in Matthew 6, 8, when he talks about the lilies of the field, how they don't toil or spin, but God causes them to be clothed and he causes them to grow. It's not our toiling. It's not our spinning. It's not our efforts and our strivings that cause us to grow. It is literally basking in his beams and relaxing in his streams and realizing him to be the answer to all our dreams. Him enjoyed. This is this is the key. So I, I feel this to be what the Lord is, is saying right now, encouraging you to enjoy him. But I want to end with this. In, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we already read it. But I want you to see this here in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. He doesn't want anyone to perish but he wants all to come to repentance. Maybe you're watching this right now and you're hearing these things about enjoying God. You're hearing these things about uh, keeping your heart on a new heavens and a new earth or living a holy life before God. Uh, God causing his spirit to come in and cause you to grow. Maybe you're hearing these things and you have no idea what's going on. Maybe you're living in sin. Maybe you've been living a religious life. You've been doing religious things, but yet you don't have a life supply on the inside of you and there's no development. There's no fruit growing in your life. I want to encourage you that the Lord is patient and he has been patient with you up until now. But I'm telling you right now, you have an opportunity to give your life to him, to say, Lord, I'm not messing around no more. I'm not going to treat you like a game anymore. I refuse to treat you like a game and I'm going to give my life to you. You have an opportunity now to say, I'm not going to keep in the back of my mind or not even think about the coming of the Lord anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to start thinking about the return of the Lord and set my hope there and set my heart there so that my feet will be ripped out from the soil of this world and I'll be planted in the age to come. Maybe you're here and you've been following your own lusts. What does that mean? It, it means that you take what you want and let that be your leader. Instead of bowing, gladly bowing your knee to the feet of Jesus and saying, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my gratification, you're my fulfillment, you're my peace, and you're my joy. If this is you, you're watching this, and you cannot say with all confidence that Jesus is your peace, Jesus is your enjoyment, Jesus is the highest delight that you know, that beyond anything else, you look up to the sky waiting for the clouds to split and break open so that you may be with him forever. If this is not your anticipation, if you feel like the coming of the Lord makes you afraid instead of happy, then I encourage you to come to Jesus today and receive Christ as your sacrifice. Receive him as the one who takes the penalty of your sin. Put all your trust in him and he will give you his righteousness and put his spirit on the inside of you and begin a new work in you where fellowship with God is the highest delight that you know. And he will bring peace and joy and fulfillment into you beyond anything you could ever experience in this life. So this is the gospel that Jesus has come. He has become a man. He has suffered and died in your stead. And when he rose from the dead, he ascended on high and he sent the spirit 
into the hearts of those who will believe in him. So maybe you have not yet believed in Christ. Here's your opportunity. And I'm telling you, the Lord will not strive with us forever. The scripture says in Genesis 6 two, the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse seven, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And second Corinthians six, two, the Bible says this, it says, now is the time of salvation. When is now? The day that you hear it, you're hearing the gospel now. And I reach to you and I plead with you. And I, if, I, if I could, I'd put my arm around you and I'd say, come to Jesus. He will fulfill your soul. He will take the burden of sin. He'll break the power of sin and he will come and live within. If you want to receive Jesus right now, maybe you're not right with God. You, you were walking with the Lord, but you've strayed away. I want you to pray with me and the Lord will restore what you had with him. He'll bring you back to first love. Just pray this with me right now with honesty and sincerity in your heart. The Lord's not listening to your words. He's listening to your heart. Pray this, say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you have died in my place and I put all my trust in you. I give my life to you. I will follow you. Come be my savior. Come be my Lord. Come be my very best friend. From this day on and forever, I am yours and you are mine. Come live your life through me. Praise you, God. I just want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the power of the Spirit. Right now, every person watching, I ask that your Holy Spirit will come through right now and touch their hearts. Fill them, Lord, with your sweetness. Help them feel feel, feel your love for them in their hearts and be convinced thoroughly that you have given everything to have them and that there is no higher place in the world than living at your feet. I pray for the believers that have heard this message today. Lord, I pray for a conviction from the spirit to look for a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, to rip their feet out of the soil of this world. Lord, that they will be, they will be anticipating and longing for hastening the coming of the Lord. I do pray that there'll be looks of love being cast to the clouds throughout the day, waiting for the beloved to split the clouds and come and rescue his bride. Lord, make us a pure and spotless bride who enjoys you above all other things in your holy name, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry I was speaking so fast. I had such a burning in me today to give this to you. Uh, my heart goes out to you guys. The days we're living in are un unparalleled, both with people coming to Jesus and the miracles of God going across the world, but also darkness. And we, are the, we have the privilege of enjoying Jesus in the midst of all of it. No matter what happens, his chest is always open for you to lay your head on. You can always sit underneath the apple tree and eat his words and take great delight in him. Love you guys. God bless you.